record. Um, so Josh explained when he asked me to come on this particular Sunday uh, that you all are going through a series on the last Sunday morning of, of each month talking about being partakers of the divine nature from Second Peter chapter 1. And we're going to get to that passage in a minute, but we want to talk this morning about, as you guys have been going through those different characteristics and aspects, the subject of self-control. Uh, and our, again, I really appreciate the opportunity to talk to you all about this because it is, it's an important subject and, and one uh, that I've, I've had some thoughts on for a number of years. And so what we want to do before we get to Second Peter chapter 1, we're going to talk this morning just about what is self-control, um, why should we be concerned about it, how can we develop it in our lives, uh, and, and hopefully just maybe come up with some practical things that, that we can do from Scripture that will help us in our daily walk as Christians. If we were just to define what is self-control, well, we'd say it's being in control of oneself. Exactly. How many times have maybe we, by way of excuse for something we've done um, that we shouldn't have, or again, maybe that, that we knew better and, and we didn't apply ourselves, or sometimes often you'll hear those in the world just say, well, I, I just couldn't help myself. Um, or we'll say, I don't know what happened, or I don't know how it happened. Well, oftentimes that comes from the absence of being aware or being in control of self or even allowing ourselves to, to get into situations maybe that we haven't thought about or haven't prepared for in advance or, or ahead of time. And so this is why. And God's Word has an awful lot to say about the subject of self-control, but this is why it's beneficial for us to consider this subject this morning. Um, and, and so as we think about what is it, it, it does go beyond just being in control of oneself. I think it involves, again, that, that preparation and that forethought so that we can control ourselves either to not do something or to do, you know, not do something that we ought not or to do something that we should. Um, and we'll just look at a few verses kind of early on here. Titus chapter 1 and verse 8. And just some of the places in which we find self-control mentioned. We see it with the qualities, characteristics, sometimes we call them qualifications, that, that spiritual shepherds, elders, overseers are to have. And of course, verse 7, you've got the idea that, that God's steward, as God's steward, an overseer, an elder, uh, must be above reproach, must not be arrogant, must not be uh, quick-tempered, must not be violent, must not be greedy. And you drop down to verse 8, and you find out that he is to be self-controlled. Self-control is one of those characteristics, one of those character traits that spiritual leaders, spiritual shepherds are to have. And of course, I'm sure that as we have studied this before, one of the things that we've talked about is that all of these characteristics, whether you're talking about what Paul writes to Timothy or what he writes to Titus here, are things for us to aspire to make as a part of our lives. So self-control, a must 
for one who is a spiritual shepherd over God's people. Turn to Acts chapter 24. This one I have always found interesting. In Acts chapter 24, of course, as Paul is spending two years in prison in Caesarea um, because the magistrates just really kind of can't figure out what to do with him. And, and you've got the Jews coming down from Jerusalem making accusation against Paul. Um, Paul is kept in custody in prison in the city of Caesarea. And in verse 24, after some days, Felix, with his wife Drusilla, sent for Paul so that Paul could talk to them about his faith in Christ Jesus. And in verse 25, Paul reasons about righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come. And of course, we're familiar with Felix being somewhat alarmed and saying, go away at a more convenient time. I'll, I'll listen to you some more about this. But of all the subjects that Paul could have talked to Felix this, this governor, this official, and, and his wife, righteousness and the need to exercise self-control in view of the coming judgment. So self-control is linked directly, at least in this verse, to righteousness and to judgment. Uh, in Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5, we see self-control mentioned again in verses 22 and 23 as what we would call fruits of the Spirit. Uh, that is, as we are being led by God's Spirit and, and not man's Spirit. Uh, verses 22, the fruit of the Spirit, that which a spiritual life produces, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. We're going to come back to this idea in a few minutes, I hope. Back up to verses 16 and 17, where Paul says, I tell you, walk by the Spirit. And whenever he uses that word walk, often in his letters, he means that your manner of life, this is the way that you should live. Live by the Spirit. And you will not gratify the desires of the flesh, for the desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. And these are opposed to each other. And so there are, we've got to be honest, some, some things that, that maybe the selfish Tim and, and the fleshly Tim and the worldly minded Tim, some things that I want to do. We're back to, you know, I just couldn't help myself. This is what I wanted in the moment. This is what I, I thought I, I needed or would make me happy or whatever it is or just you know my natural way of reacting but to satisfy and fulfill just it's what I wanted to do isn't always what I should do and that's where Paul is saying in writing to the churches of Galatia that what you desire to do in the flesh is not always what you should desire to do because Desiring to be spiritually minded and live by the Spirit and walk by the Spirit. Those things are opposed to one another at times. And so what does it take to not do what I want over here, even though that might be you know, my first impulse or, or knee-jerk reaction, and take a step back and say, well, this is really how I should react or how I should live or what I should do. 
that takes self-control. And so being able to display self-control in my life is one of these fruits that being spiritually minded and living spiritually and being spiritually focused produces. We could go to James chapter 3. James chapter 3 talks about you know controlling the tongue. And if any man is able to control the tongue, he's able to control the whole body also. And right there is just a great picture of self-control. You know, there are things that I want to say. How many times have we talked about, you know, bite your tongue? As a matter of fact, I was talking to my sister about a situation this past weekend, and she goes, you're going to have to bite your tongue. And I'm thinking, well, that works well with the sermon that I've got upcoming. But, you know, there there are things that we want to say, things that we want to, to utter, that we ought not always just speak what is on our mind. And so... To think, to control that tongue, James says if you're able to do that, you're taking great strides towards just controlling your whole body. Um, You know, there in James chapter 3, he uses the illustration of how a bit and a bridle controls a horse or how a rudder controls a great ship. Um, I've never owned a ship, but I will tell you when I was six years old, and this tells you maybe how long ago this was, some of you will relate to this. I saved up glass Coke bottles, collected glass Coke bottles, turned them in at the local grocery store and bought a horse. My grandparents lived on a 60 acre farm outside of the little town that we lived in. And at six years old, I had my own horse. Um, He wasn't much of a horse, but (laughs) I can say I bought a horse. You know, I mean, I'm not big now, but, but at six years old, I definitely wasn't big. I would put feed down in the trough and with bailing twine, I could get that around his neck and when he would lower his head down into the feeding trough, I could get the bridle and the bit up onto him and then I could crawl on his back, bareback, couldn't afford a a saddle, I'd spend all my money on the horse. But if I had that bit and that bridle on that horse, at six years old, I could control the horse. Mostly until he decided to run and kick me off. But the principle of being able to control self is something that God deems is very important. And and it can be done. He's not asking the impossible of us. Finally now, let's go to Second Peter chapter 1. Really the basis for the study that y'all are engaging in. And in 2 Peter chapter 1, again, I I am confident y'all have have looked at this idea in the first few verses, 3 and 4, that because we have escaped the corruption that is in the world, and because we have escaped sinful desire, we have been made partakers of the divine nature. And so we've got to make it, verse 5, our every effort to display these divine characteristics, partakers of this divine nature. And so down in verses 5 through 9, you've got these qualities or characteristics listed. And in verse 6, self-control, our subject for this morning. And, and you know, think about verse 9. Whoever lacks these qualities, is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. 
Verses 3, 4, and 5, he's reminded us we've been cleansed from that. That's not who we are anymore. And so we've got to make it our every effort to be reminded of that and to develop these things in our lives. And, and again, the, the idea of desire is there which is what we saw in some of the other passages that we've already looked at. Um, sinful desire in verse 4. And, and what we want is sometimes contrary to our spiritual or our divine nature. And so, just again, to recap, self-control is one of those characteristics or qualities uh, that, that elders, spiritual shepherds are to have. It's it's a subject that is closely linked to righteousness and judgment. It is that which is produced in our lives if we are living by the Spirit of God rather than by man's spirit. And it is this characteristic, this uh, quality of being participants or partakers in God's divine nature because we've been cleansed by the blood of Jesus, because we have escaped the corruption that is in the world, it's something we have to make every effort to assure is a part of our lives. Turn to Proverbs chapter 25. There's a really neat verse here. In Proverbs chapter 25, the very last verse Verse 28 of Proverbs 25 simply says, A man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. The older American Standard Version says, He whose spirit is without restraint. So again, no self-control. I'm, I'm not restraining myself. I'm just going to do whatever I want is like a city broken down or without walls. That's not necessarily maybe something that we think of in this day and age, but we've seen pictures or we've studied things out of the Old Testament. We know the ancient city of Jerusalem, or you think of the ancient city uh, of Nineveh or of Babylon, or even the city of Jericho, how we sing the walls of Jericho fell down. A city's walls were, it's, it's, main line of defense um, you know some of these ancient city walls were so thick chariots could ride on the top of them um, you study how different armies would lay siege to cities and if they could get a, a, a breach in that wall and then slowly those walls start crumbling down, whether they're tearing away at the brick or whether they're lighting them on fire or whether they're even building a ramp to go up and over those walls. Once a city's walls were breached or came down, then it was defenseless. And so here, the writer of Proverbs, this wise man, trying to let us know what we need to withstand that which is in the world, we need that line of defense. And that line of defense for us is self-control. If we don't have self-control, we're like a city that doesn't have walls and subject to, uh, susceptible to 
attack. What does that mean for us, kind of on a daily basis? Well, if I am not aware of and in control of self, whether it's my thoughts, whether it's my actions, whether it's my attitude, I'm vulnerable. Picture that ancient city again, that those city walls. I'm vulnerable, not just to attack, but vulnerable to temptation. I've left myself open. A lack of self-control also means I'm not guided by principles. You know, it's really easy sometimes in, in the confines of, of our homes or even in you know, settings like this when we're surrounded by brothers and sisters in Christ and it's, it's easier to be spiritually minded in the songs that we're singing and the prayers that, that we are sharing in. You know, we feel like, okay, we, this is what it's all about and we've got our principles and we understand that. And then we leave and we isolate ourselves without self-control, I'm not going to be guided by the principles that we talk about here. And ultimately, coming back to Proverbs chapter 25 and verse 28, I'm destined for quick destruction. If I'm not in control, being guided by godly principles, 2 Peter chapter 1, Again, it's as a sharer in the nature of God, this is a quality or a characteristic he expects me to have. I'm going to be overthrown. I'm going to be destroyed. And it's not a matter of if. It's only a matter of when. Again, think, think back to ancient cities. Think back to the children of Israel entering the land of Canaan. When, when a city's walls were breached or were crumbled down, it wasn't a matter of if that city would fall. It was only a matter of time. Same sort of thing for us. Turn to Proverbs chapter 16. Proverbs 16.32 is, is kind of the converse of this. Proverbs 16.32, Whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit is stronger than he who takes a city. And so, if I'm just able to control myself, I'm greater than, I'm stronger than one who goes out and conquers cities. And you go, ah, oh, come on, you know. These, these men who conquer cities and these men who go into battle, I mean, there's, there's, there's great strength in that. Let me illustrate it this way. Think of Alexander the Great. We know who Alexander the Great is. We, we study him in history. You know, movies are, are made about him and his armies. Um, an incredible military conqueror, an, an incredible historical figure. He was made regent of Greece at the age of 16. He destroyed the city of Thebes by the age of 21. He had gone as far as Greece all the way over to Babylon and conquered Babylon by the age of 25. And it is said that he had conquered the entire known world by the age of 31. 
and then he drank himself to death at age 32. What was the problem? He could conquer everything except Alexander. And so, here Proverbs 16, 32. One who is able to exercise restraint, one who is able to control his spirit or exercise self-control, is greater than one who can conquer cities. Alexander the Great conquered the known world in a matter of 15 years. And then in one year, drank himself to death and was done. We've got to learn to exercise that self-control in our lives. So, I want to look at just a few more verses in terms of impressing upon us kind of what is at stake. Why do we read about self-control as a fruit of the Spirit? Why do we read about self-control as this quality or characteristic that spiritual leaders are to have? Why did Paul link it to righteousness and judgment as he stood before Felix and Drusilla? Why should I be concerned about it? Well, turn to Matthew chapter 16. And we'll just look at at three reasons, and then we'll talk about trying to develop it in our own lives, just kind of some real practical ways of going about that, and then we'll conclude the lesson. Um, I actually turn to Matthew chapter 16. In Matthew chapter 16 and verse 24, Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? We're going to come back to verse 26 in just a few minutes. But verse 24, Jesus said, If we are going to be his disciples, if we are truly going to be his followers, we've got to deny self, take up our cross, and and follow him. And I know how we use that. And excuse me while I get on my soapbox for just a minute. But it drives me a little crazy when people go, oh, it's just a cross I have to bear. And, and, and typically we're talking about either difficulties in our lives or whatever. Just, just, uh, I'll just bear this cross. Whenever Jesus talked about taking up our cross, he wasn't talking about burdens in life. He was, he was talking about death. I mean, if I were to say to you, hangman's gallows or guillotine, or electric chair. There's a certain image that comes to your mind. There's only one thing that that a hangman's gallows was used for, or one thing that a guillotine was used for, or one thing that an electric chair is used for. That's an implement of death. And that's what a cross was. In the first century, there was nothing good about a cross. It meant death, and that's all it meant. And so when Jesus says, you've got to take up your cross, he says, you've got to crucify self. Think back to 
2 Peter chapter 1. Again, we'll, we'll revisit that verse in just a moment. But in 2 Peter chapter 1, as we're talking about, you know, having escaped the corruption from the, that is in the world and having changed who we are, the old man of sin does not go away quietly. You don't just ask the old self, can, can you just go stand in the corner, just sit there and be quiet and, you know, don't bother me anymore. How many times do the New Testament writers talk about putting to death the old man of sin? Jesus talking about, take up your cross and follow me. That takes self-control. I have to be reminded that's not who I am anymore. And I can't act like that and I can't think like that. And, and I've got to be more Christ-like in my positive behavior. Because self-control, again, is not just not doing certain things that I ought not, but, but doing things that I should. And so the question that we're kind of entertaining right now is, well, why, why should I be concerned? Why, why is it important to God? Why do we find it in Titus chapter 1 and Acts chapter 24 and uh, James chapter 3 and Galatians chapter 5 and 2 Peter chapter 1? Because this is what's at stake. It's a matter of true discipleship. We know pretenders, don't we? How many times you see somebody that, oh yeah, this is, this is what I'm all about. And we don't see it in their lives. What's missing? Well, self-control. To say this is what I'm about. And this is the direction of my life. And this is who I am. It takes self-control to follow through with that. If not, we will say, we'll go, you know, that's just lip service. That's just weak. It's easy to say it. It's a lot more difficult to do it. And, and I'll also say, I might, I should have talked about this early on. This is not a, a young issue or an, or an old issue. This is a Christian issue. It doesn't matter how long you've been a member of the church. It doesn't matter... Uh, you know, how, how young in the faith or old in the faith you are. These are things we all struggle with. I always wondered about that. When I was a young Christian and I would talk to, to older people, and again, perhaps even, I've, I've got two or three older Christian men in mind that I would talk to that would still talk about the struggles in their lives or the need to study scripture and make application of that and pray. And I'm thinking, given how long you've been a Christian, don't you have it all figured out by now? Isn't it a lot easier? And I was very impressed at, at a fairly young age that, you know what, this is going to be a struggle because of the world in which we live, no matter how long we're members of the body of Christ. And so, again, don't think, well, self-control is only for the young or self-control is only for those who are older. All of us are in this situation, needing to develop it. Jesus said, if you're going to be my disciple, you've got to exercise self-control to deny what you think you want, what you think you need, what you think will make you happy, and to recognize what is really important. Let me say something that we'll come back to here in verse 26. 
I would say secondly, self-control is necessary not just to be a follower of Jesus, but to live the life that Christ would have us to live. Go to Romans chapter 12. I'm going to get it right. It was Daniel, yes. (laughs) The passage that Daniel read for us a little bit ago in Romans chapter 12 in the first couple verses we're told to present ourselves as living sacrifices that which is holy and acceptable to God which is your spiritual some translations say worship or service but don't be conformed to this world you know the, again the world says well I just couldn't help myself or the world says well uh, it's just you know what I wanted to do don't be conformed to this world but be transformed by, and see, it's a mindset, the renewal of your mind. We've got to determine. We've got to have this mindset. This is who and what I am going to be. And it takes testing. It takes proving to discern what is the will of God. Tim's will might be to act or not act in a certain way, but but God's will is for me to be different. And so if I have that mindset, then it's going to help me be a living sacrifice, do what is holy and acceptable to God. Staying in this same chapter, dropping down uh, to verses 17 through 21, you know, these are are some things that are hard, y'all. These are some things that the world would look at and go, no, 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 that's not how you act. But in verse 16, live in harmony with one another. Don't be arrogant, but condescend or associate with the lowly. Don't be wise in your own sight. I mean, just think about it from a worldly point of view. No, 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 no. Man, you've got to promote yourself. You've got to get out there and and show people who you are and, and what you can do. And if you have to step on people to get ahead, then that's what you do. And, and you don't lower yourself. You don't associate with those that are lowly. You've got to hang with those who are something in this world so that you will be something in this world. Verse 17, don't repay evil for evil. No, 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 no. Somebody does one to me, I'm going to do one right back to them. Verse 18, if it's possible, live peaceably with all. No, there's some people I just don't like. And and I don't want to be at peace with them. You don't know what they have said to me and what they've done to me. And it, it just goes on down all the way through verse 21 in terms of vengeance and in terms of uh, our enemies. These things take self-control. This is what it means to have your mind changed back in verse 2. Somebody does something bad to me, if I'm not in control of self, if I haven't thought about it in advance, then I want to respond to them the way they've responded to me. Somebody isn't nice to me, I don't want to be nice to them. Somebody that I don't like, I don't want 
to think of their needs before mine. And, and so through this whole chapter, and really, I mean, we could have even started back up in verse 9. Through this whole chapter, you just look at these things and you go, that takes effort. That takes self-control. That takes an awareness of what I want to do versus what God wants me to do. And then thirdly, I would bring our attention back to 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 5 through 9. Self-control is necessary if we are to be like our Father. Partakers of the divine nature. We don't oftentimes think of God exercising self-control. But there are examples in, in Scripture where God wanted to destroy the children of Israel or where God wanted to do something. And based on prayer or petition, God acquiesces. And he condescends to the lowly. Isn't that what he did with sin? I mean, Adam and Eve, God had done everything for them. And they rebelled. Sin had consequences. But immediately there in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15, God puts in place one who would come and save us from our sins. He didn't have to do that. We didn't deserve that. God shows this concern, this care, this self-control in his dealings with us. If we are to be like our Father, we have to display that too. So why be concerned with it? The, the three points. It's necessary to be a follower of Jesus, a true disciple. It's necessary to live the life that Christ lived and would have us to live. And thirdly, it's necessary to be like our Father. So now for a few minutes, let's just talk about how do we develop it. You go, okay, great. This is all good. I'm sold. I need self-control. Ready, break. <laughs> How do we go about it? And, and this list is not exhaustive. Um, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and, and read it to you, and then, and then we'll go back and look at some verses, because I, I want you to be thinking about these things in our, our lives. First of all, I'm going to say we've got to spend time in God's Word. I mean, it is impossible to be like our Father, to mimic and imitate his character and, and his qualities in our lives, being partakers of the divine nature, Second Peter chapter 1, if I don't know about him, if I don't see his love and his grace and his mercy, and I don't see that there are times, you know, in terms of how he responded to his enemies, that's us. When we were at enmity with God, he loved us. If I don't know about him and, and, and what he looks like, I'm not going to know how to implement that in my life. Study God's word. Secondly, I'm going to suggest we need to pray. We need to pray for wisdom. We need to pray for strength. Thirdly, we need to weigh the consequences. Fourthly, we need to consider priorities. And then finally, we just need to strive to be Christ-like and follow his example. Verses that are going to be very familiar to us in all of these points, but think of the 119th Psalm. You don't panic, I'm not going to read the whole Psalm. <laughs> but, you know, it's just you go through the 119th Psalm in, in your personal Bible study, and we're just impressed with how the psalmist talks about 
your commandments, your precepts, your statutes, your law, all of these things that, that the Word of God provides for us in our lives. Psalm 119 and verse 9, how can a young man keep his way pure? Again, just keeping myself, being in control of self from being caught in situations that I ought not be by guarding it according to your word. Verse 11, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Brethren, if we're not studying, if we're not reading it, then it's not being stored up in our heart. Then, then we're not using it to guard our way. And, and again, all of the other passages throughout this psalm that talks about it being this, this light that leads us and, and provides uh, light for our path, the way that we walk and the way that we should live we need to learn about God. We need to learn about his character. We need to learn about who he is and what he is if we hope to be like him, if we hope to be partakers of his nature. We've got to study. Secondly, I suggested we've got to pray. Um, and again, the New Testament, I'm thinking particularly James chapter 1 is where I'm turning. But, you know, Paul talks about praying without ceasing. And in everything, letting our requests be made known to God. Um, James chapter 1, specifically verse 5, talks about us lacking wisdom. We need wisdom and discernment. Back to those, those walls of defense. We've got to know in advance the circumstances that we might find ourselves in. And this is going to get down to the next two points. But we've got to know, how am I to conduct myself and handle myself and proceed in this given situation? Pray for wisdom. Spend time talking to God. Ask for greater self-control. Ask for the ability, the strength to exercise that self-control. <clears throat> the time to think about these things is not once we're in the moment. The time to think about these things is in advance before we're faced with those situations. And that's, that's where the, the planning and the determination and, and the setting of boundaries. Because once, once we're involved in it emotionally, man, it's a lot harder to think clearly and, and to see what God would have us to do. <clears throat> because caught up in the moment... Oftentimes we're governed by emotions, wants, rather than being governed by the <coughs> principles. Pray about it. Thirdly, I said weigh the consequences. Turn to Mark chapter 8. Mark chapter 8 and verse 36. And here is the same passage that we considered uh, out of Matthew just a few moments ago. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? We've got to weigh the consequences. Is it worth it? Remember 
what we read from Second Peter chapter one, if if we lack these qualities, we're near nearsighted. We only see the here and now, the immediate. And so Jesus asks, okay, so you get what you want right here and right now, nearsighted. You you see what you want and you get it. So what if it costs you eternity? That's why I need self-control to recognize this is not what's important. The, the immediate gratification is not what is important. It's eternity and saving my soul. Prioritize uh, is, is what I've got here. Turn to Colossians chapter 3. And that kind of goes with weighing the consequences, but just recognizing what is of greater value or importance. Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, if you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on the things that are on the earth. Remember Romans chapter 12 and verse 2, the renewing of our mind. Have a mindset. Set our minds on things that are above. We've, we've got to prioritize, weigh those consequences, and recognize that the here and the now is not what it's all about. Set our mind on the things that are above. And then finally, follow Christ's example. In 1 Peter chapter 3, Remembering Peter telling us that this is the reason why Christ died for us. That he leaves us an example that we should follow in his steps. Um, a lot of the songs that we sang during the first hour really brought out this idea, whether it's it's footsteps of Jesus or, or uh, some of the other songs that we sing regarding what Jesus has done. Uh, and I said First Peter chapter 3, First Peter chapter 2, sorry, um, and verse 21. This is the way in which you have been called or for this reason you have been called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you might follow his steps. And I know verses 22 through 25, it's, it's really kind of neat because Peter here quotes or pulls from Isaiah 53 about five different times. But you look at those verses and what that means is what it took. Jesus exercised self-control. There were some things that he knew God wanted of him. And he did God's will rather than his will. It's not an easy subject. But I guess the question that, that we're kind of left with is, are we going to be conquered or are we going to be conquerors? We can't be that city that is destroyed. We can't be that city that is vulnerable to attack. We can't open ourselves up to everything that Satan will throw at us. <clears throat> By refusing to consider the subject and, and not exercising self-control. And so I'll just leave you with these final thoughts. 
is that we've got to strive to be spirit-led. Again, the importance of studying God's Word. I, I'm not led by the Spirit if I don't know what the Spirit has revealed to me from the mind of God. We've got to strive to be spirit-led, to be spiritually minded, so that we can be in control of self, in control of mind, in control of body, and in control of spirit. And we've got to work to be godly. Just that word, godlikeness, godly. It's, it's like God, his nature. And we've got to work to be like Christ in all ways. It's not easy. It's an ongoing process. But back to the way that you all are studying these thoughts out of Second Peter chapter 1. It is a way in which we can be like God. And it is necessary if we are to be righteous and if we are to be prepared for the judgment to come. I hope that some of the things that we've talked about this morning, things that will be beneficial, things that maybe we can reflect on and go, you know what, I, I maybe need to pray for greater strength. I, I maybe need to be more prepared before I go into a situation. I maybe need to spend more time in, in God's Word and think about how I can be in control of myself so that I can be more Christ-like or more God-like. There are things that all of us struggle with, either internally or externally. And we need the strength that comes from being led by the Spirit, walking by the Spirit, so that we can not focus on this life, but be prepared for eternity. Uh, the song that we're about to sing, Standing on the Promises. Uh, these are the promises of God, and we know these promises ahead of time. We've got to live our lives so that we can be recipients of those. Uh, I hope, again, that, that if there's anything that you find amiss in, in your life, we'll make those corrections as necessary and be greater, stronger, spiritually-minded individuals for God. Thank you for your attention. Sing this song.